0: In service, good morning again. I ask you guys to come on back in and take a seat. We're gonna start our Bible study, all right? All right, let's uh, as well as I, I usually say this, I say this whenever uh, I come up and have the opportunity to preach, but thank you guys for letting me. I know you guys didn't really have a choice, but for. <laughs> For, for, uh, for listening, it's always an honor and a privilege to bring God's word to uh, his people. I love this church. I love you guys. Uh, second service is like my service, too. I love, I love second service. So um, anyways, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to dive right in uh, to the message. So if you guys would, bow your heads, and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you um, for your goodness, God, in our lives. We thank you, God, that though we don't deserve it, God, you've extended your grace and your mercy to us, God. Uh, We thank you for sending your son, the light into the darkness, God, in this world and light into darkness of our hearts, God. Um, We're eternally grateful for all that you do, God. We pray that you would bless this Bible study, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, God, that we would leave here different, we will leave here changed, God, after interacting and experiencing, encountering Your Word and Your Spirit, God, um, this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. So I have a friend that a lot of you guys know. He's dear to this to this church congregation. His name is uh, Andy Amai. He was in for service, so I got to like point to him when he was here first service. But uh, he uh, he helps out with the youth group. I'm friends with him in Bible college. Talked him into moving out here. And those of you guys who know him know this, that he's a, he is an adventurer. So Andy actually hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which goes from Mexico to Canada. I wanna say it's 2,800 miles, but he always corrects me, and I always cut him like 50 miles short. So I think it's 2,850. Don't quote me on that, but he's, he's just an avid adventurer, avid outdoors person. And during COVID, though, he hiked the Arizona Trail. And the Arizona Trail is an 800-mile trail that goes from southern Arizona all the way up to northern Arizona. And uh, he ran into some trials. He ran into some adversity. He ran into some some persecution. He ran into some storms, quite literally. But before some of these storms, one, he was bitten by a ravenous animal on the trail. Two, he got kicked out of the Grand Canyon. And, (laughs) And three... He got caught in a severe snowstorm, and who would have thought, right, in the middle of Arizona, right? But him and a guy that went hiking with him, they were hiking, um, and then all of a sudden, it just got cold. All of a sudden, it started storming, um, and pretty soon, they're losing the trail. Panic starts settling in. Pretty soon, the winds just kick up vicious winds, he was telling me. He said he couldn't. they could barely even walk forward. The wind was so hard against them. They could barely even take another step forward, 20 miles away from the highway. And they were like, I do not know what we're going to do. So what, they just put up the tent really fast, got in and just hunkered down. But the wind was so violently and so, and so vicious that he said, I was sure that the, the, the tent poles were going to snap. And he's like, and if they snapped, we were done for. Like we would have gotten wet and it would have been, it would have been the end of us, right? And uh, he said, we just prayed all throughout the night. I don't think they got much sleep, but they prayed through, through the night. And, and uh, by God's grace, like they woke up the next morning, the tent was still up and they were able to make it away to their, you know, their, their desired destination for the next day, uh, safe and sound. And I bring that up because... Um, the passage that we're in, uh, the disciples are going to find themselves in the midst of a storm with the wind blowing heavily against them. And it's not a storm, obviously, that's a snowstorm in the middle of Arizona. This is going to be a, a windstorm on the Sea of Galilee. And so, if you guys would open up to Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 45. So, as you guys are turning there, I know. Some of the ladies here have been going through the book of Mark in their Mark study. I didn't know that till I already picked the passage. So if I mess anything up, like just uh, just tell me afterwards or something. All right? <laughs> so we'll start in verse 45. We'll read through the passage together. It says, "Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida, and while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray." Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, It is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves for their hearts were hardened. There's our passage for this morning. Disciples find themselves in the midst of a vicious storm, um, a vicious windstorm out away from Jesus. And before diving into this, I want to know that storms represent something in our lives this was a little literal storm but there, this represents storms in our lives right we have storms in our lives i guarantee you you look at every single person here they're either in the middle of a storm coming out of a storm or getting ready to go into a storm and that's just the reality christian or non-christian alike Right, and, and that's one of the first things I want to get into a little bit of context here. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And th- that word when he says, he made them, um, it's... it's it's very emphatic it's it's forceful he forced them into the boat and said you're going to the other side it's not sometimes how we do when you know parents nowadays when it's like would you like to go to the other side of the boat he's like no <laughs> you're getting in the boat and you're going over to the other side and what's this about what's going on here and Jesus re- removes himself to a mountain to pray what's going on and we see here at the end of this passage it says for they didn't understand about the loaves you see Jesus had just performed one of his greatest healing or his greatest miracles publicly uh, as far as the amount of people. Over fifteen to 20,000 people just saw Jesus take five loaves of bread and two fish and multiply them to feed the masses, right? And the thing was that people were misunderstanding who Jesus was and what his mission was about. If you go to this uh, a passage in John that, that talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000 at the end, it says this, the passage in John says this, after the people saw the signs Jesus had performed, the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself to the mountain. So here we have Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 just take place. It ends, the crowds go crazy. They're like, this is a prophet. We wanna make him king. And what he's gonna do in being our king is he's gonna do what we want him to accomplish. And he's going to take out the Romans who are occupying and, and oppressing and, and have us captive, right? And so Jesus, um, or, or so, so here he says that they're making king, they misunderstood what Jesus' purpose was. They understood what his mission was, right? And so they wanted to make him king and he's like, he, he removed himself and he removed the disciples from getting influenced by that idea. For if you guys remember, the disciples were easily influenced. They still also did not understand truly who Jesus was and what his mission was. And the thing that we got to understand about all of Jesus' miracles is more than just the power that they displayed. They were, they were telling what his purpose was what his mission was, and they were telling who he was, all right? And so we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the, in the, in the gospel of John. He feeds the 5,000, and then comes a teaching. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that's going to satisfy. Anyone who eats of me is never going to die, right? His identity, I am. This is who he is, and this is his purpose, right? I'm here that anyone who would eat of me, anyone who would receive me in is going to have eternal life. I'm the bread that has come down from heaven, We see this also in John chapter nine. Jesus says, he claims his identity statement, I am the light of the world. And then what does he do right afterwards? He opens blind eyes, right? Who he is, uh, his mission and the miracle, they're all tied together and you can't separate them. John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. His identity right afterwards, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will never die. Talking spiritually speaking, right? Right? We see this all the time. He shows power and authority over nature in Mark chapter four. Who is this man, they ask? What's his identity? His disciples, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this man? Mark chapter two, Jesus, heals a, or Jesus comes to a paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. And you guys remember the Pharisees are, are muttering right in their own heads and Jesus, right? Also, another miracle reads, reads exactly what they're thinking. They say, who alone but God can forgive sins? This is blasphemy. And Jesus tells them, right? He reads their mind and then he tells them, just so you guys know, I have the power and authority and who I am, I'm gonna, what's easier to say, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and go. But to show you my power, my authority and who I am, get up, take up your mat and go. And, And that's what happens, right? So we have to understand Jesus's miracles, His mission and his identity are wrapped up together and we cannot separate them. And we have to remember that now as we go into this story, this famous story of Jesus walking on the water. But the first thing that I wanna point out is, again, I had mentioned, we all are facing various storms. Each of us here are going through something different or about to go into something or coming out of something. And I want us to know something first. Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. And I want us to know sometimes Jesus sends us into the storms. It's not always, right? There's storms that come as a result of sin. There's storms that come from being disobedient to God. Jonah learned that experience, right? I don't have to go into it much, but there's also storms that come by being obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. Some of you guys were like, I was duped into coming into Christianity then, right? I thought, like, I come into follow Jesus, is gonna be calm waters, sunshine, rainbows, right? Cute little babies that never cry, and puppies that don't make messes, right? Like, it's all, gonna be, it's all gonna be smooth sailing, right? And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that is not the case. That is not the case, like Jesus says. He says it himself. Uh, Paul says it, Peter says it, but Jesus says this if you wish to be my disciple, but right? you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow me that doesn't sound like calm waters sunshine and rainbows right like it's, there's going to be difficulties and he says in John 16:33 in this world you will have tribulation you will have storms but he says take heart because I've overcome the world second timothy 3:12 paul says anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution they will go through storms and first peter 4:12 says peter says this dear friends Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, which is to test you as though something strange were happening. We are gonna go through storms, my friends. And the storms Jesus sends us into isn't necessarily for being disobedient, but sometimes it's for being obedient. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, right? they followed God, they were being obedient to God, and and they ended up in a fiery furnace. Daniel, the same thing a couple chapters later in the lion's den, like they said, Edith's going out. No one's to pray except to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar alone. And, um, and then Daniel's like, no, I'm not gonna listen to that. I'm gonna continue to pray as I've always done. I'm gonna continue to be obedient to what God's commanded me to do. And he wound up in the lines then. The apostles were beaten, bruised, and misunderstood, maligned, and eventually put to death as a result of, of their obedience to the Lord. And Jesus, our perfect example, how much suffering that he went to in being obedient, as a man too, as, as, as the God man, as man on the earth being obedient to his father, right? The most, her, her, you know, tsunami of a storm, right? Bearing the sins of the world on the cross, wave after wave beating on him of, of God's wrath and hatred towards sin that he took on himself for all of our sin, like the suffering and the pain that that must've brought, but it came from being obedient. And so we, don't, we, we as Christians aren't, exempt from suffering. We're not exempt from storms. Sometimes, like I said, Jesus sends us into storms. And why would he do this? Oh yeah, one other thing. In obedient to doing what God's called us to do. God's commanded us, <laughs> parents here, he's commanded us to raise our children in the way that they should go. And this is a crazy world. That's gonna come with storms. Don't think it's strange, right? The great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things. You think going and obeying God's great commissions, going to the nations and really hard places, that's going to come with storms. But as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as with Daniel, God's presence is there in the midst of the storms. Right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? And there in the great commission, it says, lo, I behold, behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. In the midst of what he's called us to do, God promises his presence with us. So we can take heart that his presence is gonna be with us through the storms. If we're gonna be salt and light in a dark world, we're gonna face storms. Youth, if you're gonna live for Jesus in in this culture, in your schools, and in this world, you're gonna face storms, you're gonna face persecution, but Jesus is with you. Listen to this. If you find yourself in storms because being obedient to Jesus, know this, there's an end to the storm. One, there's purpose in the pain. Two, and there's a, there's a glory and a goal that's gonna be attained in it. And I'll show you in First Peter 1, verse six and seven says this. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, Peter's talking to people in the midst of really intense suffering. Though now for a little while, right, the storm has an end. It's not a forever kind of storm. There's an end to the storm. Now for a little while, you may have had suffered grief of all kinds of trials. These have come, That, the purpose right here, proving the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. There's a faith, there's something God's doing in our heart, there's something God's doing in our faith that he's growing and he's purifying in us and that's the purpose that God has in storms. It's greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, it may result in the goal, right? Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And here's the thing, God is more concerned. God is more concerned with our character than with our comfort. He's more into conforming us than he is for, uh, for us to be comfortable, for our comfortability. And storms may be unpleasant for a moment, but the working of God in our lives in storms is gonna create perfection throughout all of eternity. He's gonna create perfection in us. James 1, 2 through 4 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you are faced with various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So why does God send us into the storm sometimes? It's to strengthen us. It's to, it's to grow us in our faith. It's that we would be completely dependent on him and less dependent on ourselves. It's to, it's to mold our character. It's to shape us and to conform us into his image. He has a purpose, but take heart too. There's an end to the storms. There's an end to the storms. And I want also through this passage to remind you guys of some special truths that all of us are gonna need to have. Some of you guys are gonna need need to take this right with you when you go out the door. And some of us, maybe not in a storm right now, is gonna need to save it for for a rainy day. But here's some of the truths. One, in the midst of storms, God sees us in the storm. Verse 47 through 48 says this, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Other gospel accounts says that the boat was in the middle of the lake and it was getting tossed and it was getting beaten. The word beaten is there. It was was getting beaten. And the the word straining here, they were straining at the oars. It also can be translated tormented, harassed, vexed, or distressed, right? so we get this idea. Jesus sends them out. They're in the... Uh, the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden, Houston, we have a problem. Things are going really wrong. They're in the middle when they probably should have definitely by now been all the way across. The storm's coming. The waves are beating against them. The wind's against them, right? Panic is starting to set in and Jesus is at the, is on the mountain, but he's not. Though he's distant from them, I want us to remember this. God sees us in the storms. God sees us in the storms. I want us to, to really it's easy to just think about that, but, but to think that God sees us. The one who made the eyeball sees, and this is something that's the first miracle in this storm. There's four miracles. The first miracle is that God, that Jesus sees. This is not natural for a human eye. They're three to four miles away from shore right now, and I don't know, uh, there's no telescopes. <laughs> there's no binoculars at this time, right? Jesus sees them struggling at the oar, right? Miracles represent who he is, only God can see something like that. right? And so God sees us in the midst of our storms. I want us to think about that. Whatever whatever storm or whatever struggle you are going through right now, God's word says that he sees you in the midst of that. Maybe it's it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe you're going through grief, loss of different kinds. Maybe you're getting persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe, Maybe it's just the rowing at the oars, the straining, you're you're going at things, but it feels like I'm making no headway. I'm doing what God's commanded me to do, but I feel like these forces and these things are against me and I'm making no headway and it's tiring, it's burdensome and I feel lost. I feel like God is not present. Where are you in this moment? God, where are you in this storm? We may ask, but let's take heart. God's word here says that he sees us. And I imagine the disciples were wondering, "Where where, where is Jesus at this time? Right he told us like he he said he was going to meet us right we're struggling where is he at And it's easy to focus on the problem right it's easy to focus on the waves it's easy to focus on the wind and uh, a friend of this a friend of mine shared this with me yesterday sometimes our problem is we gaze at the problem and simply glance at Jesus when what we should be doing is glance at the problem. We glance at the wind and the storms, right? There are problems. They are will. When we glance, we pay attention to them. They're a reality in our lives, but our gaze and our focus is supposed to be on Jesus Christ in the midst of those storms, right? So though, and sometimes it feels like we can't see God, know that Jesus sees you in the midst of whatever you're going through right now, whether it's strained relationships, financial hardships, distant spouse, marital conflicts, depression, health issues, All of these things Jesus promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And not only does he see you in the midst of the storms, but he intercedes for you in the midst of the storms too, right? He's interceding for his disciples. It says here that he went on the mountainside, that he went up to the mountain to pray. What was he doing up there? Verse 46 tells us, or he was on the mountain. Verse 46 tells us that he was praying up there. That's what he was doing. Um, And I think that's incredible. The son of God who's truly man and truly God sinless nature, he still found himself needing to get away from the busyness of life, getting away from the distractions, getting away from ministry even sometimes, and getting alone and being with the Father. How much more do you and I need to get alone in a culture that is very, very busy with distractions all, all around us, at our fingertips, all around us. So many things to do, so many, so many things to accomplish, keeping up with the Joneses. There's practices for the kids. There's school things to get to. There's work things that need to get done. But do we, are we finding time to get alone with the Lord, something that Jesus needed in his earthly ministry and something that we desperately need too? It says, I imagine, right? Surely he was praying for his disciples. He sent them out. He separated himself. He's praying. We don't know for sure, but I'm guessing, right? He's praying for his disciples. And maybe it was something like he prayed for his disciples in the garden right before the day before going to the cross in John 17. Maybe he was praying that they would be strengthened in the storm. Maybe that they would not lose heart in the storm and that they would draw near to God, that they would be unified, that they would be protected, and that evil would not overtake them in the midst of the storm, that they would be sanctified, that they would be set apart to God and that they would have a better understanding of the nature and the character of God through the storm. Maybe he was praying something like that. And I believe he was praying for the disciples, but he wasn't only praying for his disciples then 2,000 years ago. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for us now. John, or, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 31. Paul gives these life-giving words in the midst of talking about suffering in the midst of, a, of, of the Christian life. And He says this, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one. It's God who justifies, and who is it that condemns? No one. It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now, So you guys know that in the midst of the storm that you guys are going through right now, the here and now, whatever it is, you guys know God not only sees you, but he's praying for you. And I don't know if that brings comfort to your heart, but that brings comfort to my heart because I've been, I remember certain times in my life getting prayed for by certain people that I looked up to and just felt this this peace and this comfort and this joy and this purpose and that everything's gonna be okay no matter what's going on. And that was just simply, a person praying for me. But now we can know, we can trust that Jesus himself is praying for us in the midst of those storms. And that is an incredible thing. How amazing that is. We don't deserve it, but he does. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. That is That is beautiful. That's beautiful. So he doesn't only see, but he intercedes as well. He prays for us. And then we're gonna move on to the third point. Jesus, in the midst of our storms, in the midst of this storm, he reveals himself. Verse 48b through 50 says this. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. I wanna pause there. It says he was walking on the lake shortly before dawn. You guys, uh, another other, uh version of this in um, Matthew, it talks about it was the, the fourth watch of the night. It was the fourth session. So the Romans broke up the night into four different watches, right? The first watch is from six to nine. The second's from nine to 12. The third from 12 midnight to three. And then the fourth watch from three to six right? And you guys know the saying, it's always darkest before the dawn. Jesus, in his perfect timing, chooses to reveal himself to his disciples who have been struggling all night, rowing for maybe nine hours, not making very much headway, fearful. What's going on? Why does God wait till the last hour? Why does he wait till the darkest time? I think sometimes that's where his brightness in revealing himself to us is is most known, right? Think about going through hard things, hard situations. Isn't that, is that not the time where, where your own resources were, were, were spent, right? Rowing at the oars. I have no more strength left. It's the darkest. Like I need something. It'll call, it causes you to be more open and to see the light that God's given more clearly, right? And it's not that Jesus was waiting up there and he sees them struggling and he's getting pleasure in the struggle, but he knows there's a purpose in waiting and his timing is always perfect. And when he comes, Take heart. God's timing is always perfect in the midst of the storm when he chooses to reveal himself. And how does he do it? It says he was walking on the sea. I want to say something to you that also brings a little bit of light to this. The sea in the Old Testament represents something, something important. It represents chaos, it represents confusion, and it represents evil. Right? that's why the disciples were like, oh, like in the midst of the storm, they're like, this might be a ghost, right? It was a spiritual thing. They thought they thought that evil spirits were amongst storms in the sea because you know it's the sea is very unknown, it's very scary, especially in the midst um, of a storm. So Jesus walking on the water, remember the miracle, the identity of Christ, right? His miracles, his mission, his identity. He came to walk on and to conquer confusion, and most most of all, right, evil chaos and evil, like Jesus came to free us from our greatest enemy, to conquer the greatest chaos, the greatest uh, confusion, the greatest evil, right, which is sin, Jesus came and conquered that by dying on the cross, so we see his mission tied into that, and what about his identity? Walking on the water wasn't, wasn't simply like a, a, a super awesome trick to pull off, right, but it was saying something about who Jesus was, is saying something about who Jesus was. Job chapter nine, verse eight, says this, he alone, talking about God, he alone stretches out the heavens and he alone treads on the waves of the sea. Job 38, 16 says, have you entered the springs of the sea and walked in the depths of the ocean? In Psalm 77, 19, your path leads through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You guys, so the important thing for us to know is in the midst of our storms, Jesus reveals himself to us, who he is. Jesus is God. He's showing them that he is God. Only God walks on the water. Here Jesus is performing a miracle, showing his purpose to conquer evil, chaos, confusion, and also to show his identity. Old Testament says God alone walks on the water. Jesus is revealing himself to them in the midst of their, of their suffering and in the midst of their struggle. Um, I like this as well. He's walking on the water. Most I, I, I typed into uh, Google "walking on water quotes," right? And you, want, you guys want to hear the first two things that came up? The true miracle is not walking on water, but simply walking on this earth. A Buddhist monk named Nat Han, and I would say not on to that, right? No, it is. <laughs> it is. Walking on the ground is not a miracle, right? Like that's every everyone can do that. Mir- miracles show something that's supernatural. Like this isn't normal. Like a man that's walking on the water is not normal. It's supernatural, right? And and another one says, the next quote underneath that is the secret, says the secret to walking on the water is to know where the rocks are, (laughs) which is crazy because that guy wasn't a Christian that said that, but even people that call themselves Christian, they'll try to because they don't believe... they're they're not true Christians. They don't believe in the supernatural, right? You can't really be a Christian and not believe in the supernatural because the whole Christian faith (laughs) hinges on the resurrection, which is supernatural. People just don't walk, you know, rise from the dead. People don't just walk on water, but they did a history channel, the pursuit of the historical Jesus. I think they did it some years back and they try to find any way possible to, to, to explain away miracles and to explain things that happen in the Bible outside of the supernatural. And one of the things they said was what, what actually happened was there was a huge sandbar that went all the way out to the middle, <laughs> the middle of the lake. And that Je- it just appeared that Jesus was walking on the water, but he wasn't really actually walking on the water. Well, the problem with that is there's no evidence of that. The other problem of that is like, these guys were fishermen, right? They like, they fished in this lake their whole life. They would have known in writing this if there was a sandbar there, right? And then the other thing they'll say is like, it was a, it was a, a mirage, right? The Middle East is deserty and it was a, it was a mirage. And they just It just appeared as if Jesus was walking on the water. And this is absolutely crazy too, because Spencer showed that picture again that our group just sent. Does it look like there would be a mirage in a place like it's beautiful there it's not a, it's not a desert and it's 3 between 3 and 6 in the morning like mirages happen in deserts and they happen with heat right like that's not going to happen <laughs> so people will try to explain away all these miracles But a lot of the people that try to explain away the the supernatural, they themselves believe something supernatural, right? They believe everyone has to account for something supernatural. They believe that all of life, literally everything that we see, all of life comes from absolutely nothing. That is supernatural, that is not natural, that it goes against all of science. Or you could take the Christian belief, right? Which is that we have the preconditions for something supernatural to happen because we have a God who created outside of time, space, and matter, created time, space, and matter. He created the laws of physics. He created the laws of nature. And if he so chooses to go in and, and tamper with those, he has the ability and the authority to do so, Amen. right? And so we have we an have explanation for what he, what he did there. And so we show here that something supernatural happened. This thing that was supernatural happened to show who God was, who Jesus is. He's revealing himself I am God. Only God walks on the waters. And then it says this. Um, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass them by. I read that and I was like, what is going on here, right? Like this seems a little bit like, I don't know what's going on. He's up on the mountain. He sees his disciples. They're straining, they're rowing. They're being tormented by the rowing. The winds are against them. They're fearing for their life. And Jesus is like, I'm gonna go help them, right? And he goes out and he's walking on the water. But then it's like, does he like change his mind when he's going out there? He's like, these aren't the disciples I thought. Like I'm gonna like, you know, sometimes at the grocery store, you're like, I'm gonna go around this way, you know? Or is he like teasing them? Or what is like, what is going on? And, and it goes back to the miracles that he's doing. Like Jesus is revealing himself in a special way. And if, if you know the Old Testament, this is gonna be absolutely incredibly powerful. And going back to Job chapter nine, we're gonna go a little bit, uh, a few more verses, but it says he was about to pass them by. Job nine, eight through 11. It says, he alone stretches out the heavens and he alone tramples down the waves of the sea who makes the, who makes the bear, Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the South. It is he who does great things, the unfathomable and the wondrous work without number. And then verse 11, if he were to pass by, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Perceive him, And so the Old Testament, when God would choose to reveal himself in a new, in a special way, especially amongst people that were going through storms, people going through trials, the language would be he went to pass them by because there's something in the Old Testament about the way that God displayed himself, that he revealed his glory and his power. And it was, it was something that was confusing a little bit. He said, I wouldn't, be able to, I wouldn't be able to grasp it. I wouldn't be able to lay hold of it in the midst of my suffering, all right? And, that's not the only verse. If that was the only verse, you'd be like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not, right? But 1 Kings 19, verse 11, Elijah is going through an intense amount of suffering, depression. There's a, there's a hit on him from Queen Jezebel that she, she wants him dead. And so he's running in the desert and he is just depressed at the end of himself. He says, I wish I was dead. And then in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pain, God reveals himself to him. And verse 11 shows, shows how he did this. It says, the Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He's revealing himself to Elijah in a new and powerful way, revealing who he is in the midst of his suffering. He went to pass him by. And then the most strong case of this, Exodus chapter 33. Um, Verse 18, but before that, Moses had just went up to the mountain. He met met with the Lord. Earlier in this chapter, it talks about how Moses was talking to the Lord. like They were talking face-to-face like they were were friends. They they had this this friendship, this amazing experience. And then he's talking about going to the promised land. And Moses is like, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't even want to go. We need your presence to go with us for anything to happen. And then verse 18, Moses makes a bold claim. And he says this. He says, now show me your glory verse 19 says this and the lord said i will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and i will proclaim my name i'm going to proclaim to you who i am the lord in your presence and i will have mercy on whom i will have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion but he said you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live then 21 says, then the Lord said, there is a place near where I'm, gonna, where I'm gonna stand on a rock, where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, there it is, passes by again, I will pass by you in the cleft of the rock and cover you, or I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. My face must not be seen. And then in Exodus chapter 34, verse six when this actually happens, it says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's loving God. He's revealing who he is. He's revealing his name. He's faithful, his faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving God, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, but he does not leave the guilty unpunished, right? He's a just God as well. And, and here Moses gives a glimpse as God chooses to reveal himself in a unique and special way. He passes by, gets a glimpse of his glory. says, you cannot see my face. You can only see my back. And it caused Moses, in verse eight, it's not there, but it caused Moses to fall on his knees and worship God. So back to our text in Mark. Jesus walking on the water, revealing who he is, again revealing who he is. He went to pass him by, but now In the New Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ, God reveals himself in a unique and a powerful way, right? It says this in, let's see, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, So in the Old Testament where God, there was a mysteriousness about God revealing himself. God revealed himself to people in the midst of their suffering, but it was confusing a little bit. It was hard to grasp. And he revealed himself by passing by. You cannot see my face. Now in the person of Jesus Christ in the midst of our storms, God has revealed himself in a unique and precious and an amazing way. And God does, and Jesus does not pass by, but now in the New Testament, he gets inside of the boat with us And the winds go to a whisper. He gets in the boat and we'll see in John's, you see in John's gospel immediately, they're on the other side. You see, you guys, Jesus isn't just doing a cool miracle, right? He's revealing who he is in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials. God is revealing who he is and that's our greatest need Jesus is our greatest need. He's everything. Our our greatest need, you guys, isn't for the storm to stop. Our greatest need is for the one who who is sovereign over the storms, right? Our greatest need isn't for the wind to die down, but the one who can say to the wind to be quiet. We need the one. Our greatest need isn't for the the wave to stop beating against the boat. Our greatest need is in the midst of the waves beating against the boat to have the God, to know the God for the God who can walk on the waves to reveal himself to us. Our greatest need, our greatest need is not peace. Our greatest need isn't rest. Our greatest need is not rescue. Our greatest need is not strength or hope. Our greatest need is the very source of all of those things. Our greatest need is to have a revelation of who Jesus is in the midst of all of those things going on, knowing that he's sovereign over those things, knowing that sometimes he sends us into those things, knowing that he speaks to us during those things, that he intercedes for us during those times, and that he wants to reveal himself in an amazing way during those times, that we would get a better glimpse of who God is, what his character is like, what his heart is like. And that leads us to the next part, the last part, section here that we can take with us in the midst of storms. Jesus rescues us through life's greatest storms. He doesn't rescue us from life's greatest storms. He rescues us through life's greatest storms. Side note right here, between verses 50 and 51, you have the famous story of Jesus calling Peter to walk on the water. I think it's interesting. Mark was the protege of Peter. Mark wasn't an eyewitness of the gospel accounts, but Peter was. And so Mark's accounts are from Peter's, are believed to be from Peter. And it's interesting that Peter chose not to have Mark include him walking on the water here. And I think the purpose of that is that it would all be centered around Jesus and not around himself, right? And there's a lot of lessons for the, us there in just that saying, right? Humble Christian maturity. It's not about us, it's about Christ. But also, um, But also there's a lot of, there's a lot of neat things in that passage, but that would be for another study. Um, Jesus gets in the boat verse, or in Matthew chapter 14, and immediately the, the, the disciples worship him. Just as, the, just as uh, Moses worshiped God after getting a revelation of, of God passed by, the disciples, when Jesus got in the boat, they worshiped him and they said, this is the son of God and this is the first time that they got it. It is the first time that they made that claim to Jesus being the unique Son of God, that, that He's different. He's not just a man, He's not just a prophet, but that He's the Son of God, that He's deity. And so we see that He's revealing those things. Um, but in the rescue, God's sheer presence in the boat causes the wind to go down to a whisper. Um, we need God's glory. Um, would you put John's version of this up, of this last part? John says this We need Jesus in the boat but the disciples are afraid. You guys remember the disciples are afraid. They see Jesus walking and they didn't get it. They misunderstood. They didn't didn't recognize him for he was walking on the water and they were terrified and they were afraid. And it says this, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him in the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's the fourth miracle, immediately. Time transfer, place transportation, right? In an instant. But what's incredible about this, though, and my question for you guys in the midst of storms, whether whether you're in a storm right now and you haven't believed in God, what's keeping you from being willing to receive Jesus into the boat? Are you willing to receive Jesus into the boat? And Christian, in the midst of your suffering, it's easy to lose sight. It's easy to focus on the wind. It's easy to focus on the problem, right? We need Jesus in the boat. Of all of, our, all of our storms, of all of our troubles. And so I ask you, either case, are you willing to receive Jesus into the boat? Do you understand who he is? Do you understand what his purpose and his mission is? Right, Because if we don't understand, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be a lot of fear that can creep in, but it's the truth that sets us free. Do we rightly understand who God is? Do we rightly understand his purpose, right? That storms are gonna happen and that he's not abandoning us in the storms, but he's there and he wants us to, to build us and he wants to grow us and he wants to show us something of his glory in the midst of the storm, which is a, which is a beautiful thing. What's keeping you from, keep, from understanding him? What's keeping you from having him in your boat? And it reminds me... Um, Youth pastor, we did a, a, a youth retreat out in, uh, in Tahoe, a winter camp. And we just got done. There was a message about uh, it was uh, Philippians 1, verse 20 to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the message was all about like, is Christ truly your life? Right? And only in Christ truly being your life would death actually begin in the first place. And, and I felt like the Lord was working, right? And so after the message, I grabbed these two young guys that I knew didn't quite get it. They didn't quite grasp. Um, they, didn't, they, didn't, they, don't have, they didn't have the life of Christ in them. Yeah, they, they've been around Christ for a while, but they, they, they haven't. They haven't understood him. And so I grab these two young guys and I bring them up. We break up into small groups and I get them and I start just, just, really, just really asking them like, you know, where are you, where are you at with everything? Where are you at with Jesus? Like, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And one of the guys, one of the young men uh, was, he's like, I'm gonna be honest with you. He's like, I'm tired. I'm being, I've, I've been forced. This has been forced on me my whole life. I've been, I've been, I've been forced to go all my life that was the language used it's, it's been forced on me my whole life and i've been forced to go the whole time and i was like whoa whoa i was like when when did i ever talk about a place or when did i ever talk about an it? right i was talking about i'm talking about jesus like what do you believe? Like, where are you at with Jesus? Right, he's the life. Do you have this life? And he's like, I don't think I have this life. I'm like, well, wh- okay, let's figure it out. Where, where are you at with Jesus? Do you believe Jesus was a real person? Yeah, I believe Jesus was a real person. Do you believe that he lived a perfect life? Yeah, I, be- I believe he lived a perfect life. Do you believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the for died on the cross for sins? Yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that he rose again? Yeah, he's like, I actually even believe that. I said, alright, wait, wait a second. I was like, do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? And he got quiet. I paused. It seemed like a long time. And he said, and he said, that's the hang up. He said, I don't understand. I don't understand how a God like him would do that for someone like me. I don't understand and i told <laughs> i told him i said you're mi- you're missing it it's not because of us right it's not because of you it's because god is love god loves you he loves you and don't let shame don't let what other other people's rejection of you don't let all of these other things keep jesus from getting in the boat you're not willing to have jesus in the boat because you don't Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's pride. I got, I got, I'm rowing pretty fine, right? Are you sure you're not going anywhere? Oh yeah, I got it. We're, we'll get there soon enough, right? No. No. What's keeping you from being willing to receive Jesus in the boat, either for salvation or for sanctification? Because our greatest need in the midst of both, and salvation is Jesus in the boat, and our greatest need to live the Christian life through the storms that God brings, or that are that's there is Jesus in the boat as well. And so finishing up, um we talked about the fourth miracle. They made it to the other side. They made it to their their desired place. And that's the thing too. Jesus is always going to get us. He doesn't he doesn't save us from the storms, but he's going to save us through the storms and he's going to get us to the desired destination and that destination is going to be glorious. They'll be at the the shore that we're heading, those of us who have Jesus in the boat for salvation, the shore that we're heading, there's gonna be no more storms, right? There's gonna be no more pain, no more brokenness, no more death, no more of winds and waves, no more sea to swallow us up. We're gonna be like him, which is crazy to think about. No sin, out from the presence of sin, everything made right, that's the destination. And God is faithful to get us there, to take us there through the storms, right? And that's part of that last miracle. Um, in closing, I, I've been through, I had to go through a lot of storms before Jesus got a hold of me. And I could tell you a bunch of different stories. But one of the stories that, that stands out to me is I, I, felt, I read this and I, I remember feeling like that. I remember just feeling like just rowing and getting nowhere. Right, and I, a lot of you guys know I was out. Um, I was wrestling uh, University of Iowa, and man, I was just getting beat up on every day. My whole purpose and identity was was consumed with sports, was consumed with wrestling, was consumed, was all dictated on my performance, what I was doing in school, what other people thought of me, all this kind of stuff, and the weight just got started getting <laughs> getting heavy right? And it was, it was getting bad. And I remember I'm so far off from the goals that I want to do. So I was like, I'm going to do like, I'm going to grit, And instead of like just trusting in Christ for all of the craziness going on, I was like, I'm going to start running to practice in the morning before practice. I need to make up some, some ground. So I'm going to start running to practice. And practice was only about a mile away, but I was so burdened with weight. I was so burdened with my own sin. I was so burdened with all these storms going on in my life, tired, burnt out, lost. And I remember. It even affected me physically. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even run a mile. And I'm supposed to be at like the best wrestling school in the country that's like the best condition. I couldn't even make it to start practice without being tired. And that was just how burdened I was. That's how much uh, the turmoil and the weight, all of that was. I remember driving in my truck, just like done. done. I was like, I need a fresh start. (laughs) I've been rowing. I'm getting nowhere. I'm losing sight. I'm losing hope. I'm losing focus. And I remember wanted to just like drive my truck into something. And like the hope, I don't think it was suicidal, but I wanted to just, I just wanted a fresh start. I I was like, I wanted to wake up in the hospital and just like, like a reset button. Right. And which is, you know, you're in a pretty bad place when your hope is to wake up in the hospital, right? Like to, to get rest. But but God, in the midst of the storms, and I don't know if it was this storm exactly, but he, he started revealing himself to me in a more powerful and more powerful and more powerful way, to where pretty soon I was more and more exhausted, and pretty soon his light became more and more real. And I, and I was able to you know, read and understand the scriptures. Jesus says, come to me, everyone who's Burdened, right, by life, everyone who's heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul. I started hearing that, started reading God's word and all of that weight started lifting and I'm so thankful that Jesus in the midst of my storm revealed himself to me in a powerful way. He revealed truly who he was and, and, and where I'm supposed to be He give me purpose. And so in closing, closing, um, <laughs> I hope that we gain some valuable insights to take with us in the midst of storms that, aren't strange, right? Sometimes Jesus will send us into storms. We understand that sometimes Jesus sends us into storms, but that he sees us in the storms, Christian. He sees us in the midst of the storm. He's praying for us in the midst of the storm. He comes out to rescue us in the midst of the storm. Most importantly, he reveals himself in a powerful, powerful way in the midst of life storm. He reveals himself that we could have him in a boat that we could have him in our boat and he gets us to the the desired destination. And so you guys remember that he sees us, he's with us, he loves us, he speaks to us. He's our greatest need in the storm, Amen? Amen. amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. We thank you for even the storms in a crazy way. James says to count it all joy, we thank you for the storms because in the storms, in your perfect timing, we see your beauty, God. We see your glory. We know in the storms, that's often the avenue that your feet walk to be able to reveal your salvation to us, to be able to reveal your son to us, God. And so we thank you. I pray in leaving here today, God, we have truth that sets root in our heart and our mind, God. Truth amidst the storm, that you're there with us, God, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us, God, that you see us that you desire to rescue us, God, and that you're gonna get us to that desired destination. You're gonna get us to the end. You're faithful and just to do that. You're good in doing that. You're good on your promises, God. Let us go from here in in peace. As we close in our our last song of worship, God, may you continue to reveal yourself to us. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, God, and may you continue to transform our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.